um, Genesis chapter 25. And uh, it says there in verse 1, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Ledisham, and, and uh, yep, that person there. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. So here we're coming off that, that passage of Isaac gathering a bride for himself. We see there in chapter 23, previously that Sarah, Abraham's wife, has passed away. And so now Abraham is taking for himself another wife, Keturah. And it tells us in First Chronicles Chapter 132, that she was a concubine of Abraham's. And in Genesis 25, verse 6, it also says that he, that he, we read that there were other concubines there. Now, that was never, listen, God's ideal. You might be looking at the situation. Abraham's getting uh, on in years, and you're thinking, Abraham, it's time to slow down here. What are you doing, all right? You're not living like a 30-year-old any longer, a 20-year-old here. But this is never God's ideal, but, but people in this day had concubines that were there to ensure their progeny, uh, you know, among other things for uh, the men there. But it does say that Moses took her as a wife. So even though we see kind of passages that reveal Keturah in First Chronicles as a concubine, it seems more fitting that, that this was Abraham taking her as a wife for himself. And, and what we see happening is that there's this seemingly true relationship that's that's happening here between Abraham and Keturah where they're continuing to have children and again we're just seeing the blessing of God uh, upon Abraham just as as you know God said Abraham I'm going to make of you a mighty nation I mean God is doing that exponentially more than I think Abraham could have ever imagined this to be taking place and so we're seeing God's blessing here children being born nevertheless here she bore these six sons to Abraham and the blessing Again, he was promised of a great nation, uh, uh, of, of being a father to many nations. Not only that Abraham would be a great nation, but that he would be a blessing, you know, or a father to many nations, right? Seven, chapter 17 of Genesis, verse 4 tells us that. And so that's continuing to unfold even at such a, a late stage in Abraham's life. Now, perhaps Abraham was a guy that, you know, thought after Sarah's death, that's kind of it for him, that that would be all that she wrote, but that, that, that he wouldn't, you know, that he would be joining her very shortly. But understand something here, that, that God is continuing to bring life out of that which kind of seemed dried up and impossible, right? Here's Abraham, and he's well on in age, and, and yet God is still prospering him. Maybe you're, you're sitting in a situation today that seems like Maybe it's just dead or that it's dried up, that there's no possibility of anything good or life coming out of this any longer. Perhaps that you feel your life has no purpose any longer, but God is never done with you until he calls you home. Keep living faithfully for him and allow him to use you and, and just continue to carry out his work through you. 
Because God is at work, and we see that here with Abraham. Now, there's a couple of these, these children of Abraham born through Keter that are, are mentioned and kind of stand out for us here. We see Midian. Now, uh, Midian is going to become the father of the Midianites. And, of course, these are going to be people that are going to be a real thorn in the side of Israel as we continue along. Sheba and Dedan are mentioned. Uh, that would become modern-day uh, the descendants of Sheba and Dedan would um, make up modern-day Saudi Arabia. They're mentioned also in Ezekiel 38, 39 prophecy there. So here's some of the sons that are mentioned that are going to appear elsewhere in Scripture. So it says that Abraham gave gifts to these children of his, to these sons, and he sent them away to the east, away from Isaac. Now that wasn't because he disowned them or he didn't like them, that they weren't as special as Isaac was, but it's because he saw the promises of God that were given to him that were going to come through Isaac alone. See, Abraham didn't need any backup. He didn't need a plan B. He didn't need to have some children around just in case Isaac goes a little way. Abraham knew fully that the promises were going to come through Isaac, and so these children were being sent away here. God, or Abraham was confident in what God spoke and what God would do and that he would do it through Isaac. Now, Kidner explains, in God's plan, these sons were sent away that there might be a true home in the end for them to return to. And we see wonderful prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60 of all these nations from the, the Arab nations that many of these uh, children you know, became the father of, that in Isaiah 60, these descendants of these Arab nations coming back you know, to the land. And so uh, Isaac remains that there might continue to be a land for these uh, descendants of Abraham to come back to. Now, understand, as we're saying that, that these, it's clear that these descendants are not exempt from the promises of God. Again, these weren't people that God says, yeah, I don't want anything to do with these people. They're still there as heirs of the promises of of God, but they're going to receive it only one way, and that's through faith in God's way of bringing about the promise. Here, it's going to come through Isaac, but again, how Isaac pictured how all of this is going to be accomplished through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. It tells us in Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, in this separation, we see Isaac being singled out. There's only one way by which people can find life and blessing. And guess what? It's only through Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's, a very, that's very narrow for people today when they hear that, when they think about that. But narrow, it says in, in Matthew chapter 7, narrow is the gate that leads to life and broad is the way that leads to destruction. It's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Isaac picturing that here for us. So Isaac remains there with Abraham. It says in verse 7, reading along here, verse 7, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried in Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. So 
it tells us that Abraham died at a good old age, 175. That is a good old age right there, right? 175 years. That's a real blessing. He's lived a long life and God has been with him. And notice it says that he died full of years. Now that word years, if you've got the New King James, that guy got here, it's in italics, meaning it's not in the original language. In other words, it's, it's saying that Abraham died full. <laughs> he died full, which means basically that he was satisfied. He lived a life where he was just in full satisfaction of all that God has done. And yet it's interesting because he was 75 years, remember, when he was called to leave Ur the Chaldees, where he's called to leave his homeland. In other words, for 100 years, he's been living as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. Called to go to land that he did not know of, and he's been a pilgrim for these 100 years. And yet as he's been following God faithfully, he's died full, full of joy, full of peace, and fully satisfied. See, Abraham didn't need the stability or the security of a home. He just needed to depend on the Lord and know that God was going to take care of him. And God has done just that. Listen, your satisfaction tonight does not come from the securities of this world, does it? Your satisfaction isn't found in accumulating possessions or luxuries. Your satisfaction comes in seeking the Lord and living for him. It tells us in Psalm 17, verse 15, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, or more rightly, they shall be satisfied. See, blessed are you when you live your life in a way where you're saying, Lord, I just want to pursue you. I'm not pursuing careers. I'm not pursuing luxuries, material gain. Jesus, I am pursuing you. And as we pursue him, as we hunger and thirst for him, we're going to find satisfaction. Abraham, leave your home. You're going to be a sojourner. You're going to be a pilgrim. But here he dies now at 175 years full. He's satisfied. He's content. He's thankful for all that God has done. And he's gathered, it says, and he was gathered to his people. Abraham would be buried in the only piece of real estate that, that he owned by purchase uh, in the promised land there. And he'd be gathered with Sarah, who was also placed in the tomb of the cave of Machpelah, it tells us in chapter 23. But this was more than just you know, being gathered with the deceased. This is more about being gathered with the living. This is the idea that he's gathered to his people. It's a reference to the belief that there was life to come, the resurrection, that they would be recipients of the promises of God to inherit the land, of which, of course, they would need to be alive to experience. And so this is something that Abraham, by faith, you know, is believing that he's going to be gathered to his people and that there's more to come. It's here at Abraham's death, interestingly, that we see Isaac and Ishmael being reconciled here. Verse 9, and it sends Isaac and Ishmael. Notice Isaac, even though he's the younger, he's the one that's mentioned first, right? Verse 9, and it sends Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. They come together. They join together to honor their father. Now, it's interesting because they've been separated for a long time, right? And yet here they are reconciled through Abraham's death. It's oftentimes, isn't it, that 
It's through death that reconciliation takes place, whether that be in estranged family members bearing the hatchet over the death of an important family member, or whether that be in us needing to simply die to self in order to forgive and reconcile with someone that has hurt us. But ultimately, this reconciliation is seen and experienced through Jesus at Calvary, who died on a cross to reconcile us to the Father. Romans 5, verse 10 to 11 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Praise the Lord that through Jesus' death, the greatest of reconciliations has taken place, that we've been reconciled to the Father through his death. I'm so glad for what he's done. And I pray that we would recognize and understand the importance for ourselves to continue to die to self, that we don't allow grievances to get in the way and, and, and hurts and bitterness to come in, that we die to self, that we may continue to walk in just that reconciliation one with another and then we read there that in verse 11 that it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac see Abraham would be gone but God's program would continue on no leader of the covenant is indispensable for God's program to bless the world will continue to grow and expand from generation to generation. Each of God's servants must do all he can to ensure the ongoing work of God in their lives and through their lives, but the work is bigger than any individual. And though Abraham is put aside, God has Isaac raised up now, ready to continue on the work of God, ready to see the promises of God continue to unfold through the life of Isaac. Now look at verse 12 here. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to the generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebaioth, then Kedar, Abdil, uh, Mibsam, Mishba, Mishma, Duma, Masa. And you know, y- you can read these at home. And, and please, Do so recording yourself and send it to me so I can laugh at you for a change maybe as you say these names. But uh, verse 16, these were the sons of Ishmael and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. So here we see the life of Ishmael now kind of being chronicled and documented for us. And you could say he's really prospering. In fact, you could compare his life to Isaac's life at this point, and you'd be wondering who God actually was blessing. Wasn't it Isaac that's supposed to be blessed? And yet Ishmael seems to be the one that's having all these children. Look at the comparison. We see Ishmael had 12 sons who become 12 nations. Isaac at this point had no children and his wife is barren. I mean, this is the situation here. Ishmael and his descendants, it says that they've built up cities and towns and they've, they've got settlements going for themselves right now. And yet Isaac is dwelling in a single location. You see, the difference is Ishmael may be experiencing physical blessings, but Isaac 
is going to reap the spiritual blessings. That's what he's holding on to. His is going to be eternal, not earthly, like Ishmael's is. Interesting when it says in verse 17 that Ishmael died, that term for died simply means he fell. It's not saying that he, he died full of years. He died at a good old age. No, it just means he fell. He died. He got tripped up, perhaps, by the things of the world. There's no mention of dying a good old age or full of years. See, being blessed of God does not always mean that you're going to receive abundance in this life. Please understand that. Sometimes we can kind of equate God being good to us by the amount of things that we have. Oh, I've been really healthy. And, and no doubt when those things are there, we give God praise. We thank him for that. But an absence of those things does not mean that God isn't blessing you or with you. Being blessed to God does not mean you're going to receive abundance in this life because the earthly or the material blessings don't always satisfy. Just ask Solomon that, who's a man that had it all, and yet in, in, in Ecclesiastes, he says all of it is vanity. It's like a grasping at the wind. He's had it all, and yet he says it all amounts to nothing ultimately. What's really important is living for eternity. Abraham and Isaac were people that lived by faith and they had that eternal perspective. Their desire was to follow the Lord and it's in doing so that they were satisfied. And it's the same for us, my friends. As we live for Jesus and we live with that eternal perspective, we're gonna experience the blessing of God as we follow him faithfully because we're living our lives in a way that's living for his glory and not our own. Not living to accumulate possessions on this earth, but rather reaping the, the benefits and rewards of heaven. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 says that then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And it, it may be conjecture on my part, but it seems like that's the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael had a lot of the things of the world going for him, but Isaac had the blessings and the promises of God and eternal perspective in mind. So then we see the genealogy of Isaac here in verse 19. And we read there, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together with, within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So, the account of Isaac here, and more so we get into the account of Jacob and Esau now at this time, two interesting characters. And it's interesting that just as Abraham had to go through that time of real faith building in his life, so too Isaac and Rebekah 
had to go through that as well. I mean, what's with these barren women that God <laughs> chooses to use in bringing about the promised, you know, a Messiah and the nation through? This is just so God, you know, it's like, hey, you're going to have children and I'm going to give you a barren woman to do it, right? And that's happened to Abraham, it's happened to Isaac, it's going to happen to Jacob and Rachel as well for a time here. It's, it's quite humorous, but be that as it may, God is simply revealing that he is the one that is going to bring life out of that which is dead. There's nothing too hard for God. What you might look at and go, this is an impossibility, God. How are you going to do it? God's going to reveal it's only done through me. This is something you can't do of yourself. This is something I'm going to accomplish. Why? Because then it's all to the praise and the glory of God. Man, I think we should be those that when we face seemingly impossible things in front of us, that we don't freak out and fret and wonder, oh man, everything's coming to an end. No, those are opportunities to say, God, what are you going to do through this? Because it's going to be so evident that it's of you, that I can't take any credit for it, that it'd be all for your glory. So God, you must be bringing me to this point so that you can do your work now. That's kind of what's happening here with, with Isaac and Rebecca. Now, unlike Abraham and Sarah, who took matters into their own hands when they're looking at their life and going, well, we're getting old. We're not having any children. We better help God out here. Isaac doesn't do that. What does Isaac do? He seeks the Lord. He prays. He says, God, my wife is barren. She's not having any children. You need to help us here. And he calls out to the Lord. He prayed for his wife. And the Lord answered by causing her to conceive. And not just conceive, but now she's got twins coming. And, and what is she noticing? There's this struggle that's going on in her own body. It wasn't comfortable for Rebecca. And I love what she says. She says, if all is well, if all is well, then why am I like this? I think that's so interesting here that she says that in verse 22. If all is well, why am I like this? You know, it can be the same place that we find ourselves in often where we might think if God is good and he's in control, then why am I like this? Or, or why am I going through this trial of difficulty? Why is this happening? Why is it going down like this? We oftentimes question our circumstances without understanding or having any answers. That's why we need to go quickly to the Lord and seek Him. Notice it tells us, so she went to inquire the Lord as well. Isaac and Rebecca are learning something important. Don't take matters in your own hands. Go to the Lord. Seek the Lord. If all of this is of the Lord, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord began to answer and, and show her what's going on. He's the one that holds all the answers. It's in him that we're going to gain peace and comfort. Are you going through a time right now where you're wondering, why? Why is this happening? Go to the Lord, seek Him. Find peace and comfort in Him and allow, allow yourself to begin to gain the heart of the Lord here in those matters. So God begins to explain to Rebecca what's going on. He says, two nations are in your womb. Now for us, the struggle that we often encounter is not two nations, but two natures that wage war inside of us. 
we often fail to see the root of the problem because we're living by the old nature. And when we sometimes go through different circumstances or trials, we oftentimes fail to recognize, man, that's my, my flesh that's getting a hold of me. That's my flesh that's winning out here. That's the old nature. But when we come to the Lord, we begin to see his heart and see more clearly the necessity of living according to the new nature, the spirit. It says in Romans 8, verse 5 to 6, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What are you setting your mind on? God told Rebecca that one will be stronger than the other. Which nature do you find stronger at work in your life? It's going to be the one that you're feeding the most. If you're constantly feeling like you're hitting a wall, like you're constantly going up against a struggle or something, you need to ask, am I walking in the Spirit? Am I living according to the Spirit? Am I perhaps feeding to the flesh more than I am feeding to the Spirit? Is the flesh winning out because I'm strengthening it in the things that I'm looking at, the things that I'm doing, the things that I'm involved in? Am I feeding the flesh to the detriment of the spirit? Oh, may we be feeding the spirit. May we see that the spirit is growing stronger and stronger to where the flesh has no opportunity to get that hold in our lives. So to the Spirit and the Spirit you will reap a blessing. You will find that the struggles begin to decrease as you live in the fullness of what God has for you. Now, this is interesting because here in the womb, God saw and knew clearly who these boys were and who they would be. See, these were precious lives that have purpose before the Lord even before they're born. Abortion advocates would love to tell you otherwise, but biblically, as is evident here, life begins at conception, not at birth. And God is at work in these two boys before they're even born. Oh, may we have a sacredness of the life that God forms in the womb. Now, it's interesting that God is reversing the typical order of things. Because the firstborn was the rightful heir to the inheritance. He would be the leader of those that come afterwards. But God says, the older shall serve the younger. Now, why did God have Jacob, who would be the secondborn, be the one to receive the inheritance? And more so, to be the one to fulfill the promise of God. Well, this is simply the sovereignty of God. That he does what he does by his grace and by his choosing alone. Did Jacob deserve to be in this position? Nope. Did Esau disqualify himself somehow in the womb? Did he give one too many uppercuts to, to the fetus of Jacob there? Not at all. No, this is all about God's foreknowledge and election. God chose one who he would use for his purposes. That's what Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 9, verse 10 and 15, when he uses this account to speak to the nation of Israel, when he says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, for the children not yet being born or having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. 
Now, before we think that Esau had no choice but to carry out the part of the evil brother and the enemy of God here, this is not about God forcing Esau into a particular mold. As sometimes we can confuse election uh, of God to think that he chooses not to be saved and he chooses others not to be saved. And, and, and because this, we, we struggle trying to reconcile election with the, the, the free will of man, I believe the Bible teaches both, my friends. And, and these are two things that we can't always reconcile. But the Bible teaches both. But this is in no way God causing Esau to do something against his own will that he would never uh, you know, be able to be saved. Jacob would be the one that God would show a merited favor to and choose to bring the line of the Messiah through. But Esau had every opportunity to be a recipient of God's grace as well. Now, as we will see, it seems that Esau was simply a person that was led more by his own fleshly appetite than he was uh, in just a desire to follow the Lord and to serve the Lord here. So notice this in verse 27. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I'm weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So as the boys begin to grow, we begin to see their personality and their character begin to emerge here. Esau was that outdoorsman type guy. He's a hunter. He's out in the field. And Jacob gets a bit of a bad rap. Like he kind of gets oftentimes pictured as, you know, the mama's boy. He's more concerned with his Martha Stewart subscription and picking out what apron he's going to wear that day, right? We kind of look at Jacob as that guy that's sort of like so different from his brother. Um, I, I don't think that's the way that we need to paint Jacob. I think Jacob is a, a, a man that's every bit as, uh, you know, strong as his brother Esau is. And I don't think uh, we need to picture Jacob in a kind of unfavorable light, like some kind of wuss or, you know, mama's boy to that degree here. Jacob seems to be a man that's very concerned about the things of God. It's something that he's wanting here. He's a man that's, that's exercising. He's, he's at his 10, he's kind of taking care of the things at home. Kind of like being a shepherd in a sense. Esau's out just kind of, you know, out in the field and doing his thing, right? But Jacob's at home, and he seems to be very concerned for the things of God. And, and this is, you know, when, when Esau comes back from the field, this seems to be more than just kind of a spontaneous thing that Jacob throws out there. It seems to be a very calculated action that he's taking here. He's been cherishing this birthright for a while, it would seem, as he's thinking this through. And so he makes the offer to get some stew in exchange for the birthright. Now, what did this birthright entail exactly? Well, the birthright went to the oldest son. It guaranteed them a double portion of the inheritance, but also 
it brought with it the leadership and more so the spiritual leadership of the family. That's why there was a double portion of the inheritance given so that they could lead and kind of govern over the family. But Jacob understands something here that this is connected to the covenant of God. There's with this birthright, the spiritual blessings that God has promised to Abraham and to Isaac. Jacob is understanding this. And Jacob is wanting to be a part of this. It was something Jacob was interested in. Esau wanted the material blessing of the birthright, but Jacob desired the spiritual blessing of this birthright. Esau was willing to surrender it all just for the momentary pleasure of satisfying the flesh. We read in in Hebrews 12, verse 16 to 17, about Esau, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. That's how Esau goes down in the New Testament who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Esau goes down as being referred to as a profane person, man driven by his own lusts rather than a devotion to God. He despised his birthright because he had no heart for the things that God wanted to do. Jacob, on the other hand, though he's a, a schemer, He's that heel catcher. He's a man that's saying, I, I, I want to be a part of what God is doing. The story of Esau's rejection of his birthright is a narrative example that God's choice of Jacob over Esau did not run contrary to the wishes of either. Esau despised his birthright, while Jacob went to great lengths to gain it. Esau, though he had the right of the firstborn, did not value it over a small bowl of stew. Thus, when in God's plan... Esau lost his birthright and consequently his blessing. There was no injustice dealt to him. Now, like I said, Jacob's name is still linked to that schemer, that deceiver. Literally, it means heel catchers when he came out of the womb, catching the heel. Esau, like we saw, his name means hairy, but he's also attached to Edom now, which means red. When he came out of the womb, he was red. It says, just as often babies are, they're all crazy different things going on with babies when they emerge from the womb. We don't need to get into that right now. Why am I going down that path? But <clears throat> he's red, and so he's linked now to Edom, which, which means red as well, and perhaps, again, attracted to that stew here, seeing the, the link to his own identity. But we're going to see that there's, as Jacob is still a, a deceiver, there's still work to be done in his life, and we're going to see that unfolding in the next few chapters in Genesis but this is all by God's grace. You know, when we read passages like, like in Malachi chapter one, like how Paul quotes that in Romans nine where um, Jacob, uh, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. We read passages that and we think, how can that be? But the question is not so much, how could God hate Esau, but more so how could God love Jacob? And then even more than that, how, how can God love us? We're every, every bit as guilty as a person like Jacob. We've been schemers. We've been deceivers. We've been at enmity with God, and yet God showered such incredible love upon us. And it's not that God hated Esau, but it's being used as this Hebrew idiom of contrast between how much he loved Jacob, how much God chose Jacob to carry the the purposes that it it just seemed like 
hatred in comparison. Just as like when God calls us, you know, unless you hate your father and mother. He's not telling us to hate us. He's saying your love for me must be so much greater than any other kind of love that it almost seems in comparison like it's hatred towards others. So the real question is, why would God love us with the love that he showed us? That's just the grace of God. That's all Jacob is a recipient of. And we praise the Lord for it. Well, chapter 26, how y'all doing? We're gonna, we're gonna breeze through this chapter. I know I say that all the time and it probably doesn't ever end up like a breeze, but more like a, you know, a slow paddle up, but that's fine. We're gonna get to this. So this will be a breeze. Chapter 26, verse one, there was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and your descendants I give all these lands and I'll perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father and I'll make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. So another famine hits the land. And Isaac now is gonna be tested just as his father Abraham was tested under a similar thing. In fact, we're gonna see a lot of uh, similarities and, and um, comparisons to Abraham and, and Isaac here uh, in this chapter. And sadly, Isaac is gonna make some of the same mistakes that his father did. Isaac inevitably was looking for help down in Egypt. Now it says he comes to Gerar, which is kind of that halfway point, that sort of resting stop on your way to Egypt. And there the Lord speaks to him and says, do not go down to Egypt. So it's apparent that Isaac's looking to go to Egypt in the midst of the famine, looking for help. See, Egypt is a type of the world. And what Isaac is doing is he's, he's looking to leave the place of blessing, the very land that God has said, this is the land that I have for you. This is the land that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with you here. And that, that Isaac's giving all that up and he's looking to lean on the world's resources for help. And it's no different than what we often do when we're hit with pressure or difficulty. And we begin to scramble, we begin to panic, and we look to the world's sources for help. And in doing so, we, we turn our back on the Lord, the very one that's able to help us. And we ultimately miss out on the blessings that he wants to do in and through it. So Isaac here, or sorry, God instructs Isaac now to just dwell there. Dwell in the land that he was giving them. And that word dwell doesn't mean like dwell permanently. It means to like stay temporarily, to continue to kind of be a, a pilgrim, but be here for a time. And God then in this moment repeats that promise that was already given to Abraham, but now he confirms it with Isaac. He confirms that promise that just as he told Abraham in chapter 12 verse two that he'd be great in number and that the land would be his and that all the nations would be blessed through him, just as God spoke to Abraham in, in Genesis 12. So notice this here in verse seven of, of Genesis 26. And the men of the place asked about his wife and he said, she is my sister. 
Sound familiar, right? She's my sister for he was afraid to say she's my wife because he thought lest the men of the place kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So very much like father like son here is what we're seeing in this chapter, right? Abraham goes down to Egypt in the midst of a famine. He lies to the Pharaoh that Sarah's his sister. And then he also later on lies to Abimelech as well. Now Abimelech is a title of king in, uh, in Philistine territory. It's not so much that this is the same. Now it could be, we're not exactly sure. It could be the same Abimelech that Abraham talked with, but uh, it's also a title for king there, and so it could be a different person, but Isaac is carrying out the exact same things that Abraham, his father, is doing. It's a reminder how we need to be passing on godly examples to our children. We never know the things that our kids are going to be picking up. Now, Isaac certainly wasn't with his father when he saw him do all these things, but nevertheless, we see a lot of these things kind of um, becoming the norm here for Isaac as well. The lesson for us here, what we see with Isaac here, is that we need to trust the Lord in these situations and truly believe that he is with us. And then he's able to protect us and sustain us. Isaac, at this point, is trying to be clever and think, I've got to come up with a plan here that's going to protect us. Rather than saying, Lord, you need to protect us here. Isaac needs to learn that lesson that God is going to be with them and that God's going to protect him and sustain him. And once again, what we see in this account is that the, the pagan world is rebuking the people of God. That's never a good thing. When the people of God are standing out in error and the world is having to correct them on it. That's never a good thing. That's what happened to Abraham. That's what's happening to Isaac now as well. Well, verse 12 says this. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Now, in case you're missing it, what we're seeing here is that Isaac is prospering. Okay? Don't you somebody says that in, in verse 13? The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Okay, we get it. Verse 14, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. So as Isaac here now begins to learn, I gotta trust the Lord. God, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna lean on you here now. He begins to prosper and prospers greatly. So much so that the people of Gerar got a little jealous and they felt a little threatened. They're like, Isaac, you gotta leave, man. 
You're taking away all of our prosperity here. You're, you're taking it all. And so they ask him to leave. Well, verse 18, And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So as Isaac ventured a little ways away from Gerar, he went to the, the it tells us he went to the valley of Gerar. Um, and so he kind of just moved on a little ways there, out to the valley. And, uh, and God begins just to, to bless him. They hit water. They hit this running water. This idea is like running water is the living water, you know. I love that. God was blessing Isaac immensely. And it was a, a, of huge value, especially at this time of a famine. So God is just blessing him, nourishing him. And yet in the midst of blessing, we're still living among those that are not experiencing that blessing of God. They're not seeking to walk in, in the goodness of God. And so Isaac is having some people quarreling with him over this well. So what does he do? He just moves on. Esek means quarrel. Isaac says, listen, I, I don't need to sit here and quarrel with you. This is, <laughs> we dug the well. This is our water. It's living water. It's running water. This is good stuff. But Isaac doesn't need to sit there and fight. He moves on. Then he dug another well, yet the people fought over that as well. So he called it Sitna, meaning strife or enmity. And once again, he just moves on. Finally, he digs a well with no contention, and he calls it Raboth, meaning spaciousness. Isn't that great? God is clearly with Isaac. Now, you might think, man, there's a lot of contention happening there. How is that good? It's good that Isaac moved on trusting the Lord. He didn't need to defend himself or fight back. He just graciously moved on until he found his Rehoboam, his space to be fruitful. Listen, perhaps you're encountering contention and strife. Listen, here's what the word is showing us. Keep digging. Keep seeking what the Lord is asking of you. Is it stay and seek peace? Or is it move on either way? Don't give up and just walk away. Stay being faithful to the Lord and let him lead you to that place of space where fruit may come. Find that place of Rehoboth where there's room for you to be fruitful. And as you seek to be fruitful, that you'd be a blessing to others. If others don't want to experience that blessing and fruitfulness around you, and they want to sit and argue and quarrel, and if you can't find peace there, then move on. Find that place and that room where fruit can grow. Don't let others come and devour that from you. Verse 23, then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So as Isaac is being faithful and following the Lord, 
He's now graced with another appearance from the Lord who now comes to encourage him and strengthen him. I love what he says, do not fear for I am with you. How differently might we live if we truly took those words to heart and believed them 100%. See, we know that to be true biblically, but do we trust them personally? Oh, we know the scriptures say, oh, God will be with you. But then do we go about our life as though we're thinking, well, God, that doesn't really apply to me, does it? Are you really going to be with me? Do I really need to live without fear, knowing that you're with me? You know, time and time again, we hear through scriptures those words being given, fear not, fear not. And how we need to apply that to our lives and recognize, man, when we're walking in the Lord, when we're abiding in him, we don't have to fear anything because he's with us. Maybe we begin to fear because we're the ones that get away from the Lord. And we feel that lack of his presence in our lives. God hasn't gone anywhere. The question is, where have you gone? But yet when we're abiding in him, when we're leaning on him, and we can live life knowing that God's with me, I'm in him, and he knows exactly what's coming my way, and he's going to sustain me. He's going to pull me. He's going to take care of me. He's with me. I don't need to fear. There was one account of a young Chinese convert whose name was Lo, and his excitement that he had when he first read Matthew 28, 10, 28, 20, the King James Version, where it says, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. How we need to read it that way, don't we? Where it's the Lord saying, I'm Brent, I'm with you, always, even until the end of the world. Put your name there in that place and recognize this is what the Lord has for us. So Isaac, in response to that great word and encouragement, what does he do? He builds an altar and he worships the Lord there. Isaac is, certainly, is certain that he has that assurance of the Lord being with him. Well, then Abimelech, in verse 26, came to him from Gerar with uh, Ahuzath, one of his friends, and, and uh, Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me? Since you hate me and have sent me away from you. But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So he said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Verse 30. So he made them a feast and ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another and Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And so God just continues to, to bless them in all that he's doing. The Beersheba means well of the oath or well of the seven. Uh, Sheba simply means oath or, or seven. And so God is just bringing about favor here with Isaac as he's continuing to prosper and bless him. Now, look at Esau here, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, 
and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. This union between Esau and his wives, it brought a lot of pain, consternation, and grief, as it says, to his parents. Because these were two pagan women that did not match well with the family that desired to follow God. It shows the importance of being equally yoked, as 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, and it confirms for us that Esau was the wrong person for the birthright. He's a man that's being led along more by the flesh. And yet, what do we see here? Esau being a grief to his parents, and we see Isaac just being blessed and prospering as he continues to seek to follow the Lord. And, 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 and move on. He's not fighting for his way. He's not contending with others. He's just moving to the place that God has for him that he might be fruitful and just continue to see the blessings of the Lord unfold in his life. Oh, I pray that that will be the case for all of us, that we'll continue to seek the Lord, say, God, where or what do you have for me? Where do you need me to be that I might flourish and be fruitful for you? and just enjoy the, the blessings of God. May we be quick to follow him obediently and faithfully, trusting him, not having any fear, but knowing that he is with us. And he's with us to accomplish his will in and through us. May we allow him to do that, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for uh, just this night to come and fellowship and, and just to meet with you, Lord. And to be reminded of the truth of your word, to be encouraged to your word. And I pray that you would encourage my brothers and sisters here tonight. And that, Lord, we would leave here today taking something from the word that is uh, so applicable and relevant to us and to our situation right now. And that it would do a work in us and grow us, maturing us, drawing us closer to you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your love for us. Your grace that you have shown to us, Lord, continuously. Lord, may we know and enjoy the blessings of God as we abide in you, as we remain hidden in you, Jesus, all for your glory. So we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we, can we close with a song tonight? Maybe one of the songs that we did already?